I could really level with him. Well, I'm sure someone should, but I think that's my job. But gee, Dad, you've been lecturing the beaver for 13 years now, and he's still pretty stupid. The Older Brother Podcast. Why, beaver? Wait till the guys find out you were hanging around with a girl. Starring John Steele, David Paradin, D.T. Boy, they'll really give you the business. And Aaron Clary as America's older brother. Gee, Wally, you hang around with girls. The guys don't give you the business. Well, that's because I'm in high school. You can do a lot of stuff in high school without getting the business. All right, here we are, take two. It does make you wonder, though, like, hey, I'm getting really close to monetization. This podcast would certainly make it go over the limit. And all of a sudden, hey, it doesn't work out. Now, now all of a sudden, it's like going to take a crap. Yeah, right. All right, we got zero viewers. Uh, yeah, let's. but we got to check because they're confused. We got we to gotta tweet it out now. <laughs> yeah, I've been tweeting out. There, we got DT back. Can you hear us, DT? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Good. TJ, can you hear us at all? Oh, darn it. The Lord intervened. The one innocent Christian was not allowed to hang out with the heathens. Clearly. <laughs> All right, four viewers. John, check the chat. See if it, see if anyone yeah. is having those same problems again. Yeah, TJ, okay, can't, TJ can't hear anybody. Okay. Uh, okay. Hey, Charles in the chat. Charles Mack, uh, how's it coming in, buddy? Could you uh, could you just uh, give us uh, an audio check? Uh, let's see. I wait for him to respond. I mean, it's coming in now. It's coming fine for me now. Yeah, it looks like it's fine to me too. Yeah, I wonder what the fuck that is. All right, hey, yeah, hey, Fernando's here. Uh, Fernando, how's it? Ra- okay, Don, how's it? How's it coming in? Uh, oh, it's spotty again. Fuck. Oh, almighty. Yeah, it's spotty again. All right, look, it's not on your end. It's on Twitter. Uh, I mean, uh, YouTube's. There's nothing we can do about it. We'll just. Let's just do our show, and people people can watch it later. Yeah, because it's 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 obviously not <clears throat> it's nothing you can do on your end, there, uh, Aaron. So let's just uh, let's just have our show. I'm seeing okay. Aaron's uh, towel. That's my towel. Yes, there's <laughs> my towel. Towel. <laughs> it's all it's all whack. Like I didn't ask it to take a picture and then to film video for half a second so you could see my towel, but that's basically. It's like when you were kids and you play landing on the moon underneath the covers. You put a stick up and you have your light flight. That's basically what it is. <laughs> I see the face on Mars. <laughs> yeah, there it is. <laughs> it kind of looks like that, doesn't it? TJ, your audio's off. Turn it off. Turn it on. See if you come in. Yeah, it says you're muted. Well, it doesn't say it. It's, the icon's muted. You got to hand it to Beckloff how he has these. Uh, live streams go off without a hitch. Yeah, but he has Luke. He has his own, like, uh, you know, uh, engineer working for him full time without pay. Boy, engineer is the real world, or wor- real word for it. This is, uh... yeah, God darn it. Look at this. Here I was all excited. Like, you get the best laid plans, blah, blah, blah. And then just one technical snafu fucks it yeah. all up. Mine's working fine. So, yeah. I see, yeah. Uh, well, well, you know what? Let, let me just we'll, we'll go because people don't want to hear us bitching and whining about stuff. I had um, an adventure. Uh, you guys ever see the movie Goonies? Oh yeah, hell yeah, one of my okay. favorite movies. Well, I had no idea. I for whatever reason I thought it was filmed out over on the East Coast, um, 
And I have no, because I thought maybe with the, like it was in Maine somewhere. It turns out it's over on the West Coast. Yeah, it's in Oregon. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I was going from Tacoma down to Salem. And because I explicitly wanted to avoid Portland traffic, and I'm not kidding, I didn't want to get tuberculosis or hepatitis or whatever else the fucking degenerates have down there. Like, I just wanted <laughs> nothing to do with a bum at the exit. Like, I got to get gas, and he hits me up for money. I say no, and then he pushes me off my bike, and he spits in my face, and I got hepatitis X or whatever, some new variant <laughs> strain, bum hepatitis. And I heard all these horror stories, like, you can't evict people from your property, so now bums are squatting on people's personal land. It frankly just sounded like a left. I know it's a leftist shithole, but it just sounds like a psycho communist shithole. I'm like, I want nothing to do with it. And so I look and I notice the Pacific Coast Highway 101 goes, and it's like, hey, there's the Pacific. Here I got mountains. Perfect motorcycle riding. And then, you know, it looks like her. It looks good. Looks good on the Google Maps. And so I'm driving, I'm looking on the map. And um, also, what you do when you're riding a bike is you want to make sure it's not like, oh, I don't know, going to snow or rain or tornado all over. Basically, you want to make sure the world doesn't shit on you while you're riding your motorcycle. So I'm looking up individual towns, making sure the entire ride is going to be void of any kind of bad weather. And then I start finding out Goonies, the house is in Astoria, Oregon. The race with the trucks. I don't know if you guys remember the opening. It's been a while, man. It's an 80s movie. Well, yeah, but it, this was like one of the more popular movies. One of my yeah. favorites back when I was a kid. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah. And then there's like, you know, it was filmed on Cannon Beach. And so I'm like, oh, dude, I'm going to go stop here. I'm going to stop there. Even woke up a little bit early to make it out. But before I even get to that, guess what is on the way still in Washington State before you even cross over into Oregon? What? Well, don't that? guess. Don't 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 all jump at once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is the picture that you took? This is the picture I took? Yep. Oh, yeah, they, okay. So that all right, sweet. That's pretty cool. The 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 key the where they look through the key and they see the formations, the islands. No, so not that. Cute. No, no. Worse. Yeah. This is not a good thing. This is a place to like. I can't say it. Not on not on Google Webs. Um, this is a place where I went that I was hoping somebody would start something. Hoping someone would start something. Hoping someone would start. Think about the most concentrated group of leftist psychopaths in one area. Pacific Northwest in the middle of a freaking forest. In the middle of a forest. Yeah. White people weren't allowed for a day. Any of this sounded familiar? Oh, it's a that's a oh, evergreen. Evergreen. It was right on the way. I was like, oh man, I gotta check out Evergreen. And so uh I ended up taking just a slight detour. It's right off the highway there. And um that is everything you think it was. Um the the kids weren't in session. It was kind of lightly sparsely populated, but it's basically an Ewok camp. It's just in the forest you can't you can't see anything it's just trees but then you come upon an installation and it looks the architecture is like a star wars concrete bunker it is the most hideous ugly campus and no light gets in there no nothing and i could i could totally see where you get these crazy kids and uh, they, they just go mental from a lack of vitamin d in the sun it was just one of the worst looking campuses i've ever seen 
Well, I'm also, I don't know if you right know now. this about Evergreen, but they actually have like a zero rejection uh, rejection rate. I mean, the only requirements for, I think, uh, admission there is to have a pulse. Yeah, it's 98%. I looked it up and you could see why. You almost have to pay people to go there. Although now their their enrollment is down. I guess it's down by 20%. They're having to lay people off. Yeah, I mean, the place is a freaking zoo. I don't know how much you followed it. I mean, I couldn't get away from it because, you know, where I lived. So I was just bombarded with information about it. And then it got picked up nationally. You know, even I think even Jordan Peterson interviewed the uh, the professor that started the whole thing. And, and the irony of that professor is he's a total leftist. Right. No, they, they did it to themselves. I, but I think he's old enough. He might be a leftist. But some of the older ones at least had a line in the sand, like they like, whoa, wait, wait, this isn't it. But then at the same time, I'm like, how did you not expect this to be happening? Where did you think this was going to end? Uh, and and the fact that you know now he got the guy won his lawsuit, so that's good. So uh, Evergreen gets to pay out a little bit more. But man, if you're driving away the leftist Gen X, you can't even call them baby boomer professors. You're driving away the leftist Gen X professors. Um, Oh, it's, it's total where the inmates have taken over the institution. I'm looking at their website right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they show three examples of people that have graduated or something. Stuart Ralston, which he looks like a total beta cuck. Ginger uh, left traditional teaching and broadened his identity as an educator on the learning design team at Apple. And then Emily Washines of 2010, she's Native American. She's standing in a field of uh, wild rice, it looks like maybe, Mm -hmm. directed a capstone video which connected her to indigenous people around the world and opened professional doors. And then Ivan Espinoza just graduated this last year, staged dance productions with his fellow students. Now he's on his way to grad school at New York University. And these are their best. Right, you notice, like, not one, not one of their, uh, you know, their, their, their actual, their quote unquote success stories is a guy that started his own business and is actually <laughs> turning a profit. Right, created a new chemical that you know lowers, uh, you know, you don't need salt for roads. Right, no, it's open doors and is going to grad school. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, more perpetual student, uh, you know, b- b- being a perpetual student, more lo- more loan debt, all that kind of thing. Like, there's no thing that, like, you know, uh, John Smith graduated uh, last year and is now working as an engineer for Dow Chemical or some shit like that. No, uh, somebody is there, you know, they're they're doing a production of interpretive feminist dance on a street corner in fucking Portland, Oregon. Well, I'm just surprised that guy made it to Apple, even. Like, right. someone would even hire. I mean, how do you? Because he because he worked on his identity. <laughs> but how does an employer even take the chance of hiring someone from Evergreen or Mizzou or somewhere? It's just painful. I mean, look, I know they're all leftists and all ranked leftists, but at least like say the Ivy League, it's connections and networking. And you know, it's virtue signaling. It's like okay, they're gonna they're gonna be the right. But how do you hire Farrell? I basically that I guess that's what it is. Evergreen was basically Farrell mentally ill leftist how do you even hire i'm surprised even it makes sense the other two oh you found some tribe that's also dependent on their government for hand-me-outs and all that other stuff and then oh this guy he went in an interpretive dance uh but the the apple guy i'm like how did apple even 
Hire? Why? Why take the risk? I'm looking at their six. They've got 60 fields of study, and some of them are legit. They've got some legit stuff in here. Chemistry, biochemistry. Really? Got, yeah. Yep. Biology and life sciences. They've got biology, botany, zoology. But then in cultural studies, they've got African-American studies, gender and women's studies, international studies, <laughs> maritime studies, uh, and queer studies. How about queer maritime studies? What would that what would that be? <laughs> I'd love to see a breakdown of the percentage of uh, there's got to be what three people in the chemistry major? I, what, how many people are in that? They <laughs> got, math, they got mathematics. It's just it gonna... mathematics. It's just one line. Mathematics. That's mathematics. it. There's no there's no breakdown of mathematics. It's just mathematics. That's it. Hey, TJ might be audible. Hey, TJ, yeah. you there? Yeah, I'm there. Wow. Hey, what was the deal? Um, I don't know. I was using um, the Brave browser and it wasn't working. Then I tried oh, using no. Firefox and it wasn't working. Then I tr finally got it working on Chrome. You got to use Chrome. It's yeah, you kind of got to use. Unfortunately, you kind of have to yeah. use Chrome for the damn. Yeah, I, I literally just got this laptop last night. So I've been frantically trying to reinstall every all my just, it, the way I had everything set up on my old laptop. Uh, did you follow my advice and install Windows 7, or did you uh, decide to pull a DT and go Windows 10? Uh, I'm dealing with win Windows 10 for right now. I, I just, because I use it for work, I got to just pick up and go, grab what I got. And um, I was using my old laptop, but then it was literally, Cappy, you should have just left that my la old laptop in your room. That would have heated you up the whole night like a fireplace. <laughs> I had a, I bought one of those um, fans, the dual fans that you put underneath it, and it says, deals with the hottest laptops. And then I go, uh, turn speed fan on and it's like 80 degrees cel uh, celsius in in parts of it and this is what the fan the two fans going so it's like I, this is not a good backup um laptop how old was your laptop the, um that one was from 2011 the one that broke was from 2016 so it wasn't that old i'm thinking of actually trying to get it uh just replacing the hard drive because um, I need a backup laptop because when one stops working, I got to be able to just grab something else and, and keep going. Got, poke around. There's got to be somebody out there in your, in your professional circles, got a, a copy of windows seven, install that. Don't, don't dick around with it and, and be done with it. Or, you know, if you want to get involved in Linux, you know, that that'll be less taxing. Yeah. I don't know. I just hate technology. <laughs> <laughs> you're living in the wrong time period uh, yeah 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 exactly i'm with you tj yeah i feel the same way <laughs> yeah i got i got this old stuff i got these um old typewriters that are century old and they work better than the a word processor i, I was buying a laptop the other day um, and the guy goes yeah you're expected to last about um a year uh, a year to two years and this is not an, a, a cheap laptop so i was thinking uh, do they just intentionally design them with like a self-destruct button inside somewhere where after two years it just stops working or it, it, I, I understand that the, there's changes online with all the updates and stuff like that, but you, does your computers really have to start heating up to where, you know, you almost want to just put them um, in the middle of your house and use that for central heating instead <laughs> of your, your uh, natural gas or whatever. Well, you know, uh, on a serious note, um, Apple does have uh, what, what's it programmed in obsolescence uh, <laughs> for the products where, you know, like you can't like, you know, take the battery out and replace it or anything. I mean, it, it's, it's designed to, you know, literally force you to get a new one if you want to keep using them. Yeah. And I was thinking about this um, when I was 
recording my podcast last night um, that I do, and I thought uh, this wh- why it bothers me. It bothers me because it goes against what we're our natural inclination for normal, healthy men, which is we want to be able to see a long-term use in a product because of how well we maintain it and preserve it and we treat it well. But with modern technology, with stuff like cell phone, smartphones at least, and laptops, it doesn't matter how well you take care of it, how well you maintain it. It's got a very limited time frame where it works. Whereas say you get a car that's got a good engine on it and you change the oil regularly and you, um, you know, change the spark plugs and you get a maintenance and you just, you are a, a, a good steward of what you have and it'll reward you by by lasting a long time. Well, that's not the case with with a lot of technology. It's almost that you just throw it away. It's like a dime novel. Isn't uh, the planned obsolescence basically the broken windows fallacy? I mean, it, it it's like, well, you know, we need to have an economy. We've got to have people buying stuff. Oh, yeah. And so if they're purposefully breaking technology so that we buy the new stuff, that's basically broken windows fallacy right there, isn't it? I I almost wonder if it's because technology is changing so fast. By the time you buy a laptop, it's already obsolete. They're moving on to the next thing. And I just feel like that that creates this really crazy, vicious cycle where you almost wonder, well, why do I even bother buying one? Why don't I just, I don't know. You're kind of in this weird spot where you, uh, a kind of a cynical position where you're looking at something and realizing I'm buying a $700 piece of obsolete technology. Right. That will stop working in two years. And so I think it, but I, I think the problem is that, that that goes out to other areas of life where we stop treating other things as well. We stop maintaining other things because it, we, we have that same assumption. I think that that you can kind of see that in the millennial generation. I remember I was talking to an alert, uh, elderly gentleman who was in the trucking industry and he just said how he notices that young people don't really maintain their cars and they don't keep just upkeep or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I almost wonder if that's because they grew up, particularly the millennials who've never known anything other than the internet, just that's all they've known is just things are going to go obsolete. So why bother maintaining it? No, right. geez, I think that's a very insightful point. I think a lot of people are like, like this millennial, Jason, uh, millennial uh, generation and the, the generation Z following them. Uh, you're right. They have kind of been designed that everything is just disposable now. You know, and not to actually take care of anything anymore. It's just, it's like that, you know, and I I guess, you know, that happens at a young age, I guess, when they first got their first computer or their iPhone. Oh, yeah, you just toss it, you get a new one and stuff like that. So when they're kind of trained that way at a young age, of course, it's going to carry into adulthood. Unlike, you know, you know, older people like ourselves was like, no, you buy something, you take care of it. And uh, it'll last you, you know, like the, the, the damn car I had stolen. I had that 18 years, man. I treated it like a baby. I started to always bring up my car, right? Cause I'm so, and, and, uh, wouldn't be a show if you didn't. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that'll, that'll be my thing. But it, I would still be driving that if, if it wasn't stolen, you know, I was like, I treated it like a baby. It ran perfectly. It did everything a car needs to do. It didn't have all the bells and whistles in it and stuff like that. It still had a freaking CD player, but who gives a shit? It worked. CD right. player, mine's got a tape player. <laughs> I got eight tracks. What are you talking about? Um, and I think that almost uh, goes into the way they view relationships, where they they see the same thing. It's not meant to be a long term thing. It's almost just transactional and and temporary. Um, and then I, I mean, I understand what you mean about the car. I had a, a 1998 Volvo that I put I think two hundred sixty thousand miles on, and I think twenty thousand of those miles. Uh, was done after I had um, fixed a, a cracked head gasket 
uh, for, for like five bucks with sealant. So I put, I, I was taking care of the car and getting as much out of it as possible. So when I finally had to get rid of it because exhaust was coming into the, um, into the cabin of the car, which is not a good thing to see on the, on the highway. Um, I, I at least could put it away and say, you know, I, I got as much out of it as any person and, uh, it got me much farther than, than it should have, um, for most people. That's, we, we that's what drove me nuts about the cash for clunkers program. Oh yeah. Is, you know, oh. they're destroying perfectly working. They've still got a long service life, a lot of productivity left in them destroying them on purpose to to buy something slightly more efficient to quote save the planet and all of their their equations they don't count the carbon footprint of actually making the damn thing that 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 now is it, it has a lower carbon footprint in an operation than than the one that they're destroying it just that that says it right there i mean when you're talking about the throwaway society our gov our government um, basically instituted it with the cash for clunkers program. Yeah. I, the other thing, um, is that people, I, at least for me, I like to have stuff that, that's been with me for a long time, you know, and especially with, for, for people who are writers, you, you want to have that kind of companion. Um, back in the day, writers could have the same typewriter their entire career. All you'd have to do is just take it to the gas station and blow the air out of it, which was, um, what Cormac McCarthy did. But now you just don't really have that unless you're using an old notepad or whatever. But um, and it's not a big deal if you're not a sentimentalist or you don't really care about having that kind of stuff. But it's sort of like Indiana Jones's hat or his leather jacket, something that's just been with you um, through thick and thin. And so it almost becomes a part of who you are. But then you got to get rid of it um, and move on to the next thing. Doesn't yeah, George R.R. R. Martin use like some kind of old word processor for all of his books? He doesn't you know, use like modern stuff. You know, and if he does, I don't. I probably wouldn't go as far to do that, be, just because of the efficiency stuff. But I understand why, because you just don't have to deal with all the nonsense that comes with uh, dealing with a, a laptop or even a computer, which they could break. They take time to load. That you got to update them constantly. Um, they can freeze on you. Whereas with a typewriter, you just now, granted, there's t everything that you do digitally with just a click of a mouse, you got to do manually on a typewriter. So granted, there's a lot more work to be done um, to get the same results. But um, you don't have to sit there and wait for it to load and you don't have to enter in your password and you don't have to worry about viruses um, messing with the, the keyboard. <laughs> right, it just works. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sure George Martin is thinking I've used this word processor for all the previous books. I'm going to keep using it because it works and it it, it you know, it works just fine for him and his needs. Right. What a concept. It works. I mean, that yeah, works. <laughs> yeah, that's that's another thing that drives me nuts about technology today. And I understand there are people who will say, well, look at how affordable it is for, you know, uh, people to, you know, buy TVs or buy laptops and stuff like that compared to back in the day. And I, I get that. But at the same time, if you want something to work, you have to pay a lot of money still. If you want something to be reliable, you got to pay a lot of money. Um, if you want to have something that's cheap that could break on you at any time, you you can buy it, but it's just it, it's kind of like um, I have a relative who's uh, buys only American tools and and uh, power tools. He will not buy foreign tools, and the reason is is because it says when I need a project to get done, I need the tools to work at that moment. You know, not not when they feel like it, and I can't have them failing on me just whenever. Colonel Popcorn had a good joke here on the chat. He says it makes sense for George R. R. Martin because his productivity is terrible. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. <laughs>
It's true. The guy takes forever. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> I have a, have I have a oh, shooting yeah. of the of the uh, Game of Thrones thing because he was taking so long to to fucking write it. Well, they ruined season five of the show to try to give him time to uh, finally release Winds of Winter because they didn't want to have any spoilers in season five. And I've done some screenwriting and things like that. And just when I see how they were writing the show, it, I, season five is an awful season. In my opinion, it's terrible. And it's because they didn't want to have any spoilers that season. They wanted to give George some time to actually publish something. And he still hasn't published the book. And so they sort of, in my opinion, and that, on that show, it, it would have been perfect if it had been seven seasons because of the seven-pointed star and the seven gods or whatever. And instead, they kind of extended season five a little bit, and they could have. And and these last two seasons are short, and so especially the 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 last season here is going to be short. And so they could have wrapped it up in seven seasons. Had a perfect, you know, you could see the DVD box set or the Blu-ray box set with the seven pointed star, and would, each each one each season would be one of those different gods or whatever. And they messed it up to try to get him to to get off his butt and actually publish. Something. So so speaking of, oh, go ahead, John. No, 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 you go, you go. Oh, well, speaking of which, this is another example of where the technology thing occurs. So uh, my my family has seven to eight different versions of the exact same movie because first we had the taped on with a VCR, taped on TV. Then we got mm-hmm. the VHS version. Then the special edition VHS version. Then we got the DVD version. Then you got the special edition DVD version. And now you got the Blu-ray version. And then, you know, you're going to have the digital. Lunchbox is next. I mean, what? <laughs> so you go i mean you've got you go through all these different ones it's like dude i just want the movie and i don't want to have to keep updating the the format on which i watch it and yeah i understand the blu-rays the, the quality um the, the video quality is a lot better and maybe even the sound but it's like guys i just it, it's it's a rat race it just gets a it, you you can't just buy something and know it's gonna again last when it comes to technology um, you buy Blu-ray and you're thinking, okay, great. Now it's going to be digital stuff. So how much money have we wasted on these eight different versions of the exact same film? Right. And sometimes the updates aren't correct. The, um, uh, I, I'm a big hand of, a fan of the Halloween movie. And so that's what I did. I, I taped it. I, exactly what you said there. I, over, over the years, I've had many different versions of the movie. And the first version of the Blu-ray they messed with the the color timing, and and so diehard fans were like, "What the hell? It doesn't even look like night." You know, this whole yeah, the, the whole yeah. point of Halloween was that at night it kind of had that bluish hue, and they totally ruined it. They made it like just the the color timing was so off, so they had to release another Blu-ray version with the original um, um, cinematographer to to oversee the process to make sure it looked right another example is conan the barbarian another uh, favorite movie of mine and the music in that movie is very important and there's there are points in the movie where they totally fuck up the soundtrack and and it completely plays differently on the blu-ray version than than the dvd version so sometimes sometimes an upgrade isn't isn't good you know isn't isn't uh, isn't better than the original yeah i was um i have the the VHS version of it's a mad, 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 mad world, which was this who's who of uh, comedians back in 1962 or three. And then you watch the DVD version and they cut out some of the best scenes um, <laughs> for, for whatever random reason. And then there was also, um, I have uh, a VHS, I think it was a TV recorded version of the Alamo. That was John Wayne's film back in 1960. And it has all these interesting scenes that were completely cut out of the DVD version 
Um, I think the, yeah, they just, they, they screw around with stuff and don't just leave it alone because well, you know, that, that was for uh, uh, cultural sensitivity. Reasons. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they hire somebody that doesn't isn't a fan of the movie. You know, they'll hire somebody that just is working, you know, just a geek or whatever, working on, you know, improving the picture quality or sound quality or whatever. And they and they're not hiring people that like know the movie or they don't play it for somebody that knows the damn movie. The reason why you're upgrading it in the first place is to sell it to all the fans. And and then you completely botch it. Um, well, yeah, yeah, so they just don't involve the people they should. It's probably being edited by some blue-haired feminist, one side of her head shaved. <laughs> From everything. Well, you know they got lucky with um, the original King Kong. I have the, the now that's where they got it right because they had the DVD version when it came out originally. It was before the the production code um, came in, and then after that, when they were re-releasing it, they cut out all these scenes, and they were considered lost because the censors just misplaced them or whatever, and so. Um, years later, some guy found like no joke. He found them in his garage, like yeah. or something like that. I think his one of his relatives was one of the sensors and just took them home and put them in his his basement or his his garage or whatever. And, and so the um, relative found them in the garage, so they were stored that. Um, but then again, also you had guys like Peter Jackson who was a huge fan of the King Kong, the original King Kong. So like he was, I think, part of the DVD restoration ever okay, or yeah. something like that so he was like yeah let's put all the original stuff back stop screwing with the original stop trying to censor stuff you know stop trying to change somebody's original art form because you don't like um don't like what was in it and it was like you know violent scenes you know he's stomping on people's heads or he's biting people's heads off with you know the stuff that back before the production code it, it's actually kind of shocking some of the stuff that they allowed in that hmm. maybe i'm talking about the one from like 1933 yeah, the, the original one where where everybody thought it, they'd had like some sort of uh, guy in a suit when it was really just stop motion um, c- cinematography. Like we're talking the original, original one that looks a little dated nowadays. But I mean, back then, the stuff they did with the tools that they had, like everything was done mechanical and manually. There was no um, special effects as we understand it. There was no right. CGI in 1933, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, dude, you have no idea how many kids in my high school video class told my teacher that where he they were saying oh how they do the, the computer generated graphics and he just looks at, at him and he's like he's like this sort of al pacino type guy and he just wants to slap him upside the head you they had that world war ii had to happen first german to invent the enigma machine and then we built a computer that's how it worked <laughs> it was you know, for uh it was for um uh what, what is it called the the where they dropped the bomb into the tube and launch it right um artillery that was it was they had their oh, yeah. first computer was to generate the little artillery cheat sheets basically for angle and distance and all that right i think that's I what it was for the first computer was designed uh during the war to decode the enigma machine no i yeah. think i think it it was naval uh, pretty sure ibm came out with these punch cards and I, I think it was to calculate trajectory, but I want to say it was naval, not mortars. Okay, okay. I knew, I knew it's something. It was something to do with yeah, the the so that they could actually kill people <laughs> with with the bombs. Oh well, actually, IBM helped uh, the Germans uh, calculate the the Jews. Uh, uh, the Watson machine, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you, there was actually a book written about it. I think it was called IBM and the Holocaust or something like that. That uh, you know, they you know, the Germans have to have to keep track of the Jews. I mean, you know, I mean. Um, 
So I'm actually, I was going to go somewhere, but Aaron wouldn't be comfortable. Oh, with it, so. that, I, yeah, well, look, I'm quarter Jew, so cut away at the jokes. It's <laughs> the better the joke, the more. Yeah, I don't. I, you know, just it's the Google people you got to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. You know, Aaron. Though you, you don't. You don't have enough of a hook nose, though. You know, well, I said quarter, and I think it's through marriage. It's not like <laughs> it was passed on. You know, it, it's pretty whittled down. Yeah, somewhere in there, there's a there's a Herschel Clary, I'm sure, back in the day. <laughs> uh, yeah, Clary Shekelstein, somewhere. I, in yeah, <laughs> yeah, I didn't inherit any physical looks, but by God, my a cheap bastard. Let me tell you, yeah. how <laughs> you got you got the good qualities of the Jew. I got know? the good. Yes, pick and choose. It's cafeteria Christianism. I just, I'll take a little bit of that. <laughs> I'll take the high intelligence. I don't want the hook nose. I don't want the naggy broads. Uh, no, I like blondes and redheads. Let's let's not get the brunettes, and uh, we'll get rid of the overbearing mother. All right, there we go. Clear yeah, Judaism. Yeah. Oh, the Jewish stereotype. Hey, how do you tell when a Jewish girl has an orgasm? Oh God, geez, now we're good. Well, that was it for the clear for the older brother. <laughs> Did you guys? Uh, how, how was it? How do you tell that, John? Uh, she drops her nail file. <laughs> what? She drops her she's, nail file. She's, she's not bored anymore. <laughs> is that like a New York Jewish joke or something? Yeah, probably. probably yeah. Actually, yeah. Well, it's actually kind of funny, though, because in my experience, the Jewish girls I've been with uh, were complete maniacs in bed. So, yeah, I can confirm. Yeah, you know, I think that I think it was, you know, when I was younger, the Jewish – I haven't been with a Jewish girl since my, I don't know, early 20s. Uh, you know, I lived in New York. <laughs> you know, the Jews are everywhere. I mean, they call it Jew York City for a reason. But the uh, – they were like, you know, complete maniacs. And I grew up Catholic and everything. And I think it was because, you know, Jews don't believe in hell. So, the you know, the girls, like, they knew, you know, no matter how freaky they get, there's no real punishment for this. So, you know, they just were, they were just total maniacs. Yeah, they slept with Catholics. Wow, rebel. What, <laughs> was, was it to strike back at their father or something? They sleep with Catholics or Christians or what? Well, Jew, well, you know, Jewish guys are not really known for their sexual machismo you know what i mean <laughs> I, mean, I suppose yeah <laughs> generally speaking i mean there's exceptions but i mean you know there's not uh let's be honest there's not a lot of you know no you're correct you're correct what you know, is the deal with that one <laughs> there's not you know there's not a like you know what was that i don't remember that original movie airplane the original one yeah. and there was like uh like reading material and like the different books and that she had them to, to read and she goes well here's a pamphlet on great jewish sports legends and it's like you know half a page long or something <laughs> <laughs> you know i mean how many you know how many jewish i mean what do you what do you like uh well, like even in baseball you got, got uh calfax i mean he was like the I, he's the only like great jewish ball player that comes to mind you know uh what was your name? Uh, Bert Colfax or uh, I can't remember, but yeah, they're, they're not really known for their, their prowess. I mean, when it, it, the way Jews get a scholarship to college is not an athletic scholarship. Let's put it that way. Yeah. They're, they're not, they're a little bit more known for banking and surgeons and dentistry. I suppose it's uh... yeah, yeah. You want, yeah, you want someone to do your taxes, you get a Jew, you know, I remember you, I don't remember the old Saturday night lives with uh, Eddie Murphy. Oh yeah. When, when he had the uh, Gumby Christmas special. <laughs> God, this is going you know, back a ways. What? Explain yeah, I, it. I'm Gumby, damn it! And he'd be like, and he, you know, he yeah. had the Christmas special on, and it was really funny. And he's like, "Merry Christmas, everybody!" And to my accountant, my lawyer, and my doctor, Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> 
But now you guys are smart. You got I've I've heard this. I don't know if it's an urban historical legend or not. But speaking of Jews and um, athletics, in the original Olympics, way back, way back in the original Olympics, they they would do the they would do the athletic events naked, and so the Jews to not be self conscious would like i don't know how they did it but they would make their dicks look like they weren't circumcised because every other athlete was uncircumcised how is that an that? urban legend is that it stuck with me it stuck with me since i heard it in high school or whatever the hell i heard they didn't it. have epoxy in greece in 2000 bc i don't know i don't know i don't know how they did it if they pinned it i, I don't know oh, oh, like there, man. i don't want to be thinking about other people's schmeckles that, you know? that Sounds urban. I mean, once you start sweating, it's going to fall off whatever kind of, you know. I don't, that's what I heard. That's yeah. what I, that's, I heard from them. They said it somewhere. <laughs> <Okay. there. laughs> and I don't think there was a huge Jewish population back in Hellenistic Greece, but I, I could be wrong on that. Yeah, when, when did the Jews escape Egypt? Um, well, I think they were thrown out. Um, uh, <laughs> Well, no, did they make, because what, what, when's Greece, Greece is what, 2000 to 1000 BC? My Western civilization knowledge is horrible. Oh, no, no, the, the, the Olympics don't go back that far. The, I mean, Greece is really, really old because you had the Mycenaeans and the Minoans, and then you had, uh, then you had the Hellenistic period where you got the, you know, modern day, you know, the Spartans and the Athenians and, and those, those Greeks, you know, the Socrates, Plato's, something like that. So you're just talking about, I guess the first Olympics was, um, I didn't happen after the Battle of Marathon. That's where we get the the uh, Olympic event marathon. The reason it is the distance uh, of the marathon is twenty six point two miles or whatever it was, because that was the distance from the beach of Marathon to the uh, the uh, the uh, Athenian capital when they beat the uh, Persian army. One, they sent a runner back, you know, to let them know. And the legend has it that he ran the twenty six miles. And said victory and died. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's um, the I, I think the, what you were saying is is probably true about the ethnic 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 makeup of the people doing the Olympics. Um, it was it was probably not a whole lot because I, <clears throat> there's impossible to know what the cities looked like as far as you know demographic makeup and all that, and they would occasionally have foreigners going in and out, but. You gotta wonder how much, how homogenous some of those nation states were um, compared to what we see now. I, I know that there were, you know, cosmopolitan areas, and especially maybe in Persia, but you can't imagine, especially when they're city states, it's you're just gonna stand out, mm -hmm. and and if you're different in any way, everybody's gonna know because Athens wasn't exactly New York City. Ha ha! I found it, guys. No, Out of the Seattle oh, Times. Out of the Seattle <laughs> Times. And of course, yet, of course, and yeah. yet. The relation. Uh, what's this uh, article titled? It's titled "Jews and the Olymp Jews and Olympics Reviewing a Checkered Relationship," and it says here, um, "And yet the relationship between Judaism and the Olympics is a checkered one." For example, in the second century BCE, the Greek-influenced Seleucids instituted Olympic Games in Jerusalem. Some Jews participated, but they did so at a price. These were Greek games, and the participants needed to look Greek. Since Olympic athletes competed without clothing back then, would-be Jewish Olympians often had to undergo painful operations to hide their circumcisions before they could participate. Boom! I remembered correctly. <laughs> Woo! 
I, I can't believe it. What do you mean painful operations? What? Plus, I, don't I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> they don't go into detail. They do not go into detail I'll on that. Uh, well, I, I will say this for the Jews back then. I mean, at least they were dedicated to their sport because that's um, – I, I mean, just to, just to throw a discus, I'm not going to let someone be operating on my – you know, <laughs> But, oh, someone in the chat said funny, something funny. He says, like, Kathy was Jewish enough to want to go into banking, but not Jewish enough to want to stay in it. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa, hey, now. Sinek and Chief. Oh, that's Sinek and Chief. Hey, buddy. Oh, hey, Sinek. All right, cool. How's he doing? How you doing, Sinek and Chief? Say, say, that was a good one. Uh, you got more? Come on. Let's, let's, uh, let's <laughs> no, have a talk. No, no, no. He, he could go drive around his van and have life. That's <laughs> But yeah, but no, that that, that yeah, the, the the Olympic thing, the, the interesting history of the Olympics there, you know. But uh, um, it, 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 you were right when you talk about how ancient Greece. I've done a lot of uh, reading on this, and they were very homogenous, especially the uh, especially Spartans. Um, what right. what they did is when the uh, I believe they were Dorics, the original Indo-Europeans that invaded uh, the Greek Peninsula that took over the the previous cultures that had been there, and they were you know they were they were Indo-European people, blonde hair, blue eyes, not like what you think of Greeks today. And Harry, 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 and communists. That's why I think of Greeks today. But that's just... uh, oh yeah, they're, they're, they weren't. <laughs> like, they weren't like the, the the what you consider Greek today. Um, and they, a lot of people don't know this. I mean, like the Spartans specifically, because they kept their they kept their gene pool kind of very pure. And they pretty much enslaved the population that they that they conquered instead of kind of you know inter intermixing with them. And those became the uh, helots. You know they actually had a, right. they had a caste system in in um, uh, ancient Sparta. You had the the uh, the uh, Spartans. They called themselves equals. Those were the the soldiers. And then you had uh, the I think it was I don't know if I'm pronouncing right the Paracoi, who were the uh, tradesmen and craftsmen and stuff like that that built things. And then you had the helots, which were um, uh, slave is probably not the right word because they, they weren't, quote unquote, owned like Spartans didn't own other people. Unlike, let's say, the Athenians that actually had real slaves. Actually, right. a slave. Spartans didn't do that. They didn't own things. So in some ways, the Spartans were a little bit more, uh, uh, I don't know, modern or with it. That way. They didn't believe in owning people, but they were there was they just basically if you were a helot, you didn't really have any rights. Um, right. They could. I mean, they they would send their kids out to uh, when they were training the the boys for the um, the E four. They would um, give a season kill any helot that they saw, um, and so yeah, they, it was like this. They, they didn't own them individually, um, and so when people talk about the institution of slavery, um, they always have to be specific about which one they're talking about because in in ancient Greece it was very different. Like you were just saying, the Spartans wouldn't own anybody specifically, but they could go kill them at any point, and there would be no consequences. Whereas the Athenians had slaves, but they would actually have the slaves sometimes be more of a mentor for the the the, the boys, so the son, so the 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 slave would go around and basically teach him like proper manners and all that stuff. So a completely different relationship than what you would have in, in Sparta where, you know, you've, you're training your boy up to be a soldier and then you send him out to go <laughs> kill some random person to prove his manhood. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's wrong with that? I mean, <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, I mean, I I mean now granted, no granted what we have today is not exactly what we had. I had in mind either, but you know, one would think that there's some sort of a balance where, yeah, if there's people who are hostile to us, I want my son to be able to violently resist them to the point where they go away. But on the other hand, 
um, I don't want my son to be uh, where he's terrified of his own shadow and has to hide in a in a in a room and be treated like an an infant um, perpetually, or we have to get a court order to get his butt out of my house. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, we should we should bring it back. We should, <laughs> we well, should bring back the agogi. So at seven years old, the kid the kid leaves. That's what it was off. called. It was the agogi. I said E four. My bad. Well, whatever. Oh, no, hey, hold it, hold it, hold it, John. For God's sake, how the hell do you know all this shit? You didn't go to college. Not that you have to go to college, but you, you know more. You're just like you like should be on Jeopardy or something, man. Oh yeah, I, I, all my buddies actually tell me to go on Jeopardy. Um, but no, I did go to college, Aaron. <laughs> but, oh, I <laughs> Wait, oh, I thought you did. I thought you just went straight to working or something. No, no, no. I went to college. Oh. Um, but I didn't read any of this. Uh, I went to John Jay College of Criminal Justice. It wasn't like, you know, I didn't get, uh, I wasn't like uh, our friend Ann Sturzinger, where she majored in the classics, where she read Latin and Greek. No, I'm a voracious reader. I just read, I read an awful lot, you know. I mean, uh, that's why I like you, Aaron. I read your shit. You know, I mean, I read, I read, I read. <laughs> Good, because I don't read for shit. I just write. My goal is someday is to write more books than read, because I just hate reading. Yeah, yes, you've written more books. Well, actually, I always, you know, I'm always envious of writers, you know, because I always say I'm a reader, not a writer. I've, spe- you know, but all the people. That's why on my on my YouTube channel, I'm always. If you notice, ninety percent of the interviews I've done, uh, yourself included, are all authors. You know, everybody I've interviewed has written a book, or if they're not a book, a pro, they were a prolific blogger of some kind. So I'm just fascinated with authors, and it's really cool. Like uh, when I interviewed Andy Nowicki uh, or even Ann Sturzinger, uh, because I've read their books, I get to actually ask the author what you know, what did this really mean? What you know, what, what did you want the uh, the reader to take away from the character and stuff like that? And that that's just a great opportunity of someone who really likes to read when you actually can talk to the actual author. You know, I mean, think about it. Like I don't personally don't care for Stephen King, but I know he has a lot of fans in the world, and I'm sure people would give their left nut if they were Stephen King fan to actually sit down and do a one-on-one interview with Stephen King. Well, I get to do that with some of the authors that I love, and it's really great. What's funny is you think authors are like these great human beings and, and we're spectacular. And here you got me, TJ, and Vincent. We're like, the fuck? No. no it's, John, it's not. Yeah, don't meet your heroes, man, because this, yeah, this is – well, no, well, no, Cappy, I accept you. I accept you, you know, warts and all. I, I think you're a great guy, but I have no illusions about you, you know. But I, no, I, <laughs> I mean, no, you're, I mean, I've, I've, I've interviewed you, uh, you twice one on one. You're a great guy. You know your shit, but you're a realist and you, you know, you have a very uh, realistic view of the world, but you, you got some great pearls of wisdom, but you're a no nonsense guy. And, and I, I kind of appreciate your attitude in life. You're like, look, love me or hate me. I'm just going to tell you the way things are as I can understand them. And I think that's an extremely admirable quality. And to be honest, I think the world needs a hell of a lot more of it. Well, I had no idea I'd make money off of it, but yeah, I'll, I'll take what I could get. That's uh, that. Uh, anyway. Hey Vince, you still there? Yeah. I'm, oh, okay. I'm just, just sandbagging here listening in. Are, are you, are you shocked as I am that uh, John likes uh, uh, authors as much as he does? I know. Right. It's it, trust me. It's all smoke and mirrors. Well, for crying <laughs> of, especially if it's everyone thinks, it's no, it's like lawyer, you know, like back in the day, you know, you were a doctor, you were a lawyer. Well, that was, that was saying something, the same thing with author, but I don't think people are in the know that you could literally go to your, uh, your Microsoft word document uh, and just randomly type in letters of, for 300 pages up, save it as a PDF, upload it, <laughs> publish it on Amazon. You can be an author. I mean, the vast majority of people out there are unsuccessful authors, especially now with, with the, uh, has anybody done uh, 
had have that speaking of that has anybody done uh all work and no play make jack a dull boy and just made a book of that that would be a hell of a <laughs> that's a shining reference you know, that, would probably, that, that would that would probably sell a lot of money or uh, DT, sell a lot of books yeah DT, you could do that tonight you know what's funny is that that as much as we're joking right now it's not actually uh far from reality and that's one of the things that's made me a little um jaded with the whole industry the way it is now um you have a lot of people who really don't know anything about writing but they and they're very cliche and they take something that they saw on on tv or in a book they rewrite it and change a few things and then they sell it um i keep coming across all these books that they keep throwing out there and turning into movies and it's like there was almost a joke they did with the honest reviews or honest trailers where the guy's doing the voiceover and he goes dude we did this movie already and the guy goes no bell it's another film no dude seriously we did this film already (laughs) um i mean and it's easy i think 50 shades of gray would be a low-hanging fruit but at the i mean there how many other authors are there like that that make good money just writing very 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 uh, cliche books um that was 50 shades of gray that was originally fan fiction for twilight yeah yeah it's it's just the stuff that um it, it I remember a publisher told me that um, being a write, being an author today is like 50, 55% knowing how to write. And then the rest is marketing. So if you know, and you know how to, if you know how to, to, to uh, market stuff and get, get it out there. Um, and I think also the stuff that I want to write about and maybe um, others uh, in this chat can, and weigh in on their own perspective, but a lot of the stuff that I want to write about and a lot of the people that characters that I want to create and the kind of stories I want to tell aren't really in vogue um with most of the population i'm sure that there's a niche market but you got to go out and find them now well tj can i ask you because you're an author so right away uh you know i'm gonna have a mild fascination with you what kind of books do you write what kind of characters do you write what's your genre um i don't really have a genre specifically i used to write a lot in the 1930s and 40s but uh one guy kept uh, one literary agent kept telling me that i was writing for the wrong audience my audience was dead he told me (laughs) um so i studied i'm trying to do stuff that's more in in the in the modern world but i'm mainly interested more in characters and and particularly with with men who are really just just almost supernaturally driven by willpower to accomplish stuff and um uh, I'm thinking of uh, the guys from like Force 10 from Navarone and uh, Where mm-hmm. Eagles Dare and all these other like these characters who are just they, they 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 find their strength not from superpowers, but from their their willpower. And it's their action oriented and that kind of stuff, like very masculine type men. And I, I what inspired me to write in the first place was I kept watching all these male characters on TV shows and stuff. And I just was really waiting for them to do that well, that take action moment or, or or do what a man would do and to see them completely just fail in that in the script and you could looking back now and i just got so sick of the characters and i just decided well why don't i just write my own book and just start writing my own books and do that stuff so that's kind of where um i what i try to do in in most of my novels is just have men who are you know old-fashioned like humphrey bogart type guys Oh, um, right, right. Well, yeah. well, is like is the backdrop though? Like you said, like Bogart, and you were talking about some of these World War II books. Is the backdrop like it's kind of like historical fiction where you you know use the yeah. backdrop? Yeah. Of- <laughs> well, like I wrote my the, my one of my novels that just came out, Men Who Walk Alone, is about a, a detective in a small town in the East Coast during the Great Depression, and he's just you know your typical. Uh, there's gangs, there's different immigrant groups that are fighting, and they've got a vigilante running around, uh, you know, bumping off people, and he he's just got to deal with this whole situation where he's he's one of the good cops in a corrupt town 
but you can't just be the the knight in shining armor who is he's, you almost have to be a little bit seedy yourself but he's also determined to survive and not get killed and not let other people you know bring him down um so there's that that constant struggle going on to try and do the right thing in a situation where that could easily get you killed but at the same time not becoming a bad guy and it takes a certain kind of willpower to be that type of person and i almost think we can see that in today's society where you know there's a lot of people a lot of men who want to you know aspire to certain virtues but they're not uh, beneficial anymore um specifically unless you find a way to do that in a way that's healthy but they also don't want to be the kind of men who get you know <clears throat> gain success through by by selling out by by adopting the, the world's values which are antithetical to what we believe all right well if if was that the book that you would recommend for me because i'll read it i mean i'm a reader so just yeah, yeah I, I can send you a copy all right yeah i'll read it and then i'll interview you how's that oh, oh cool that yeah that sounds great all right TJ, you just john's day he's excited as a kid at christmas <laughs> <laughs> Well, my Christmas, my Christmases weren't as a kid weren't really too much to be excited about. <laughs> hey, TJ, I used to write fiction in the past, and I don't know if you feel this way or if this has happened to you. I'm sure you have if you've written a lot of fiction, but I think the greatest thrill for a fiction writer is when the characters that you create start writing themselves. I, yeah. I don't know if you've had this experience, but it that's that is that's the gold standard of writing fiction is when somebody that you've created starts, it's like you're not in control of them anymore and they're their own creation and they start speaking themselves. It's a very strange thing, but it's very exciting. Yeah. I don't know I, if that's I, happened to you or not. Oh, but. oh, definitely. I've read certain books of mine like years later where I just, or I was in the middle of writing something where uh, you almost feel like the the character is becoming a real person where you know you know exactly what you want to write because you know the character well enough. Um, and speaking of writing, I actually just published a short story that was um, published on uh, Terra House magazine. That was Matt Forney's new thing about uh, that actually takes place in Seattle um, that people might enjoy. It's called Seattle Nice. And it's about a, a, a Seattle native who's, you know, been struggling throughout the years to try and afford to, to live in the city and ends on a kind of sad, but uh, funny note. Hmm. Yeah. We should promote that. Uh, Say that website again, because I think there's a lot of young. Oh women. yeah, yeah. Um, Terror House Magazine um, that was started up by Matt Forney. He's a uh, American journalist who's in Hungary, and I'm actually planning to do do a lot of writing, try and write some more short stories to get published in his um, on his magazine. Because I, I feel like he's filling in that niche that I was just talking about, where m men like us who want to read certain material, but it, that kind of stuff just they're not they're just not making it anymore. That's not what they want to talk about. If you go. Um, talk to literary agents or publishers. And even if you're trying to sell stuff yourself through self-publishing, um, trying to find that market is not easy. Are people even reading that? I mean, I, I yeah, look they're... at publishing houses and literary agents. I'm thinking like Horseshoe and, and other things that are completely <laughs> obsolete. And then on top of it, I don't see young men reading at all, period. They'll read on their tablets or they'll read short stuff. So that's why I think short stories might have an appeal nowadays is people will read really short. And then that's just the reality of what also got me frustrated as a writer. I would write a book and I would give it to my friends and they wouldn't read it. And then I would give them something really, really short, like a short story and they would read through it really, really quickly. So I, that's just, I think for me, acknowledging the reality of the world um, that is, is the too long didn't read 140 character attention span. So you got to 
uh, just adapt. Oh, no, it pisses me off how I can't write what I'd really like to write. And I have to, and I'm not even, I'm not, I won't even go to the short story thing. Cause I'm like, what's well, a short story of vignette. Okay. Maybe, maybe a book of vignettes, but um, no, if I had unlimited funds, uh, I'd be writing completely different. But matter of fact, if I had unlimited funds, I wouldn't be writing at all. So I'd say, fuck you guys going home and you might see me on a motorcycle. But yeah, <laughs> there's, it's kind of sad. It makes, it makes you wonder. I even talked about this with Roosh. Roosh trained as a microbiologist uh, or a virologist. <clears throat> you know, what, what could he have achieved if he had the resources and the opportunity to do what he wanted to do? And it's kind of the same thing here. It's like, well, I, I really don't want to write about worthless degrees in economics and things like that and some other stuff, but uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta write to the market. Wasn't great expectations of serial. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's the thing about old, old novels like Alexander Dumas and Charles Dickens. Most of their novels were serialized in newspapers. Yeah. So they would, and you can kind of tell, cause that's where they really adapted the cliffhanger um, with each chapter. And so and it also made it I think that's how people were able to read his books back then, because it was a newspaper. So you wouldn't have to go out and buy a book. Um, you could just follow along with, with du- Dumas was wrote th- those books that were serialized in the 1800s. Oh, yeah, they were ser- they were serialized where they were published in, in newspapers. In fact, Alexander Dumas, what he would do is he would um, he would write shorthand. Um, almost outline the book and outline like the dialogue or whatever. And then you'd have a team of writers translate his shorthanded longhand so he got accused a couple times of writing an author mill and and you almost understand when you see the sheer volume of the amount of stuff that he was publishing he was publishing so much stuff that he ended up writing um under a pseudonym because people felt like he was saturating the market so he started writing under different names and having it get published through other stuff and they would take it but he was just so um prolific but he was—he wasn't writing it the way we understand today. He was having a lot of help from all, almost like editors. And, and for those, of, those, those of us who don't know, those of listening who don't know, he, a famous uh, writer of historical fiction, wrote like um, the Count of Monte Cristo. He wrote um, uh, he wrote the Men in the Iron Mask, right? The, the, uh, yeah, the Three Musketeers. The Three Musketeers. That—that's what he. That guy. Yeah, that's a. He's God, the joke and he's the joke and Shawshank Redemption. Dumbass. I'm not, I'm not joking. Not joking. I want to write more books than I've ever read, and that's not going to be a big hurdle to beat. <laughs> well, you'd appreciate Charles Dickens because he was paid per word. And so we look back and all oh, this great description and da 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 da. Well, he was just trying to get paid. He was just trying to right. write as many words as he could, and he got paid per word. Right. Yeah, these long, flowery, verbose descriptions of, you know, everyday things. And he was like, yeah, well, that's another nickel, you know. Right. Exactly. (laughs) It's like approaching girls. Like, I want to fuck. Oh, shit. Maybe I should say some other things before. It's uh, it's funny. Um, There was this film that came out in 1944 with Gene Turney. It was called Laura. And she's this young marketer. And she's talking to this guy. He's a columnist. And she... She, he's he's really he's a, a jerk to her and so she goes well how can you be so sentimental and 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 flowery in your your columns and he goes sentiment comes cheap at 50 cents a word <laughs> <laughs> well you know what my favorite quote about uh, writing was from that book um not that book the movie um uh, as good as it gets Mm. Uh, don't ruin it for him. Let me finish yeah. this story. He, he goes into the publisher's office and the secretary's there. And she's like, oh, I love your book. And he's like, oh, God. And she's, oh, please, please. He goes, how, how, do, how do you 
write women so accurately and well. And he's like, well, I think of a man. Then I remove reason and accountability. And he <laughs> just walks away. She's standing there with her face because she doesn't get it. <laughs> but that was the best description of, yeah, just think of a man, then remove reason and accountability, you know? Yeah, the, another good film about writing was uh, Finding Forrester. It was like Sean Connery's last great film before he ended up. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, and um, he was, he's he's kind of that, almost like a J.D. Salinger, but I think a little bit more well, that's sane. What it, was, it, was, it was loosely based on J.D. Salinger's life. Yeah, it was based on his life. And he's um, always just talking about how, the, the one of the reasons he, so he published, for those who haven't seen the film, it's about this reclusive uh, author who wrote one book and it's like the great American novel and never wrote another one. And so there's this young kid from the Bronx who's uh, having to write an essay on, you know, why, read the book and then explain why he didn't write another one. And so he actually gets to meet the guy and talk to him about why he stopped writing it. And he said, all the critics started this crap about what it was that was really trying to say. And that's when I realized one book was enough. Um, and so, yeah, you get this. The, yeah. Well, it's kind of like what John said, where he interviews people and says, what were you thinking when you wrote this passage? Well, um, you know, back, maybe back in the day, people got to do a little bit more speculation about what the author actually meant. Um, because they wouldn't either wouldn't respond to a comment or they just wouldn't participate in the interview or mm. whatever. They only did one interview with one newspaper and the other ones just speculated. Um, but that, that's one of the things that drove me nuts when it came to writing where in English literature, and I think that's one of the reasons I got turned off from, from literature for a while because the teachers turned it into a textbook where they were like, this is what the author meant here. And here's the, the diagram. We're going to do all this other stuff. It's like, just read the book. I a hundred percent agree with you on that. Uh, it's uh, this whole, and that's exactly what I thought when John said that as well, TJ was that nowadays, yeah, I suppose you can talk to the, the authors real time mm -hmm. and understand where they got their ideas and what they were really trying to say and what symbolized what and all that kind of stuff. But back in the day, they didn't do that. And so we've got entire fields of study uh, <laughs> and of literature trying to decode what these people were trying to say. And it might, it might be completely off the mark. You, you want to talk about the epitome of those who can't do teach. I looked up every single English teacher I had, including <clears throat> elementary teachers who, you know, they had to be Jack of all trades because it's really hard to teach a nine year old. Um, not one of these women, except there, there was one male teacher I had my sophomore year, but none of them, none of them had any notoriety, had ever published anything. They, they were just mere students of authors. Hmm. They were mere uh, theoreticians. They never did a damn thing. They remind me of these guys. I don't know if you guys have these friends, but um, they couldn't get into the military because of a you know, medical reason or whatever, but they were so obsessed about the military and they became like naval historians and they did every military. military. It's like, yeah, but you weren't there. You know, like, and they try and make it this science, da, 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 and you, know, you got your dangling participle. We're going to die. Remember breaking down sentences with the, the breakdown diagrams? Yeah. yeah. The nouns, the verbs. Oh, I just want to, I'm honest. I'm honest. I, if they're still alive, I would love nothing more than to punch my English teachers in the face because <laughs> it was such a pissing away of time. I mean, they were hypocrites. And here they are, like they knew and there was a science. And the truth is, most authors, you can't be a good author. You can't be a good author, write a good story, following rules. You just can't. And so if you go and you study, quote, English or literature, it's already over. You're, you're already pigeonholing your brain into a structure 
or, or a box that does not allow you the creativity or innovation to actually create something that is new and unique. And then once you turn it into a, a formula or a code or an algorithm, it's done. It's done. And that's, right. I, that's what's probably if, – if I cared, I think it's been beaten out of me genetically. But if I cared, I'm sure there's some really great books out there that I should read. Well, but it was just beaten out of me in the fourth grade that I just I, – I loathe and detest reading. Well, if you you talk about like not really following the rules, like if you read some of Hemingway does that, oh, like yeah. he, he does he just makes his shit up. I mean, he's like, well, you know, throw grammar and all out the fucking window, and he's considered, you know, talk about a guy who did shit. You know, he did shit. He was a he was a you know man's man. He was you know a tough guy or what you know. Well, it's a lot of yeah, let's talk about also. Yeah, there's also F. Scott Fitzgerald, whose first book, the, um, This Side of Paradise, is it is this, um, I would say. Uh, mishmash of short stories and a, a play that he had written and it all just kind of combined together but it was a weird he did this with other novels where they, the publishers did that and so I think the other thing that you look back on is just wondering how many of these guys now granted F. Scott Fitzgerald did not do as much as Hemingway he just I think drank um, that was kind of it Drank yeah, exactly and there. Tra- drank and married a crazy girl um, well it's Hendra's so- a night is that basically his life that <laughs> Well, I mean, the thing about Hemingway is you read, I was reading some of one of his last books before he died. Um, that, and you can just tell this guy lived. He was kind of like Jack London in that sense. You read his, his um, books and it's just full of r- real like this is, you know, that guy was there, that he's lived that life that when he, you know, when he's describing a guy who's at some podunk bar in Havana in the 40s, you know, drinking himself to death. You know that that's Hemingway. Like he he knows what it's like or when he's describing boats and ships. Um and all that stuff. So I think that that's another thing that's that I admire in authors is the ones where they are able to write about stuff that you know they went through. Um, so they're not just making it up. I know that there's some guys who who can do that, but um, that is not nearly as cool. Well, Cormac McCarthy, like to bring a more recent author, that's I think he's still alive. Yeah. Um, he didn't really follow the rules either. I mean, you read like Blood Meridian and stuff like that. I mean, I don't think, you know, the guy would have dialogue. He doesn't even use quotation marks. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. He, he, <laughs> Yeah, everybody's giving me a hard time about when I was in a literature class or whatever about uh, about that stuff. And I'm like, dude, the book we're reading has no quotation marks. It has nothing. Like, what are we talking about? Or then, you know, they say never start the sentence with the prepos- prepositional phrase. Like, dude, the, the book you're having us assigned to read does that all the time. Like, what? <laughs> I've got another urban legend that I want to run. <laughs> Great. Does this involve Jewish genitalia? <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> No, I heard, I heard you're talking about um, formula and, you know, you, you, you plug into a formula and you get a story or whatever. I heard that love story by Eric Segal, um, the, the, you know, the famous movie love story, never having to say you're sorry. You know, love is never having to say you're sorry. Oh, that, God, he, that's... that he took a, the formula that that was his whole point with love story was to take the cliched formula and plug all those pieces in. And see if it would become a bestseller, and obviously it did, and it made a movie and everything like that. That's what I've heard. Is that true? I've tried looking it up. I, I want to see. That. I want to say it's true. I want to say, it's, and here's why: because one of the books I'd love to write is not necessarily a Harlequin romance novel, but is definitely a um, a Hallmark Channel movie book. <laughs> and the only reason I know this is because uh, the girlfriend, when she needs to to like decompress and just have something mindless on, but she can still do stuff. She'll watch it. And and it was, it was so painful uh, because one was called under the Kissel toe. And the other (laughs) one was uh, under the Kissel toe too. And Mary Kispis. 
And I'm just like, Jesus fucking Christ, what the hell? So I started watching this because I had nothing else to do. And admittedly, some of it was pretty charming and cute. I'm like, okay, this is kind of funny. Kind of has that 60s romantic comedy vibe to it. There is some clever stuff going on. But it's, it's, it is scripted. And then I don't know this book because, well, it's a book and I don't read books. Why would you read it? And they did make a movie out of it, probably. As a matter of fact, hundreds of them. But it's always one girl who's normal, who is being courted by two guys. One guy is the obvious choice. He is the investment banker. He is the surgeon. But he doesn't have the heart. He's too busy doing this. He's too busy doing that. And then comes the rugged, equally hot, but quote unquote inferior, who just happens to be, say, a cowboy or um, an oil field worker, and he has the heart of gold. And then there is a catalyst. Now, in the more recent movies, it is a fat, large, loud black woman who has the wisdom (laughs) to point out to the naive, hot 20-something innocent girl, girlfriend, you got to go look over Johnson over there. Johnson got himself a truck. Don't do no investment banking. Mm, (laughs) And and everyone loves and that's and that's what it is. And then and, and, you know you know what the thing is though um, is that the the girls the protagonist is usually um, I'd say at least twenty nine to thirty. She's just on the cusp of right right turning thirty. And and the guy that she ends up going with is always where he has that borderline almost quasi masculine quality, but then it's just it just he's just reeks of neutered or emasculated where well, right. This is written for a female audience. I'm just giving you the I'm just giving it's, you the it's formula. Almost, it's almost like they're trying to reassure these women that yes, you did marry the like you you picked the right guy or something like that um, when they go with the nice guy. Right. Because because it's it's like it's like the um the guy that they pick for the the bad guy is so over the top bad that it's just like, did she have the what was that name of that movie where the guy has the the sunglasses that he puts on and takes off, and it's like you realize that there's aliens or whatever. Um, oh, anyways, they live. Yeah, they live. They live. They live. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like that. It's like everybody else has the sunglasses on, and she just needs to put her her pair on so she can see that this guy. Well, that's here. where that's where the black woman comes in. <laughs> yeah. She comes in and yeah, gives the advice, but it's only after you know the guys like said something or broken her heart or whatever. And then they ride off into the sunset. But it, you know what? <clears throat> the other thing is, is the movies are just, and when I say clean, I'm not talking about the, the qu- content. I'm talking about just everybody is dressed in clean clothes. It's like they all just went to the cleaners and got their clothes right out of the yeah, laundry. It's not mat. filmed in a Tacoma. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember why I was at my, my visiting my parents and I walk in and I just, you, you know, at a certain time of day, you know where you're going to find, um, one of the parental units and it's in front of the TV watching this channel. And I noticed they're always in some rural town or in the old West. It's always, it's never, or maybe the it's in the, romance novels, these movies. Oh my gosh. You like they, they always said it in the old West. Uh, you haven't seen Merry Christmas too, then you haven't seen. Well, okay. It's, it's set in suburbia, but it's always this, like, it just feels like so Steph, a combination of Stefford wives and plastic and, like just sanitize like there's not a, a scrap of anything real it almost feels like you're just on the movie set uh, i i don't know I, I remember just watching one of those and i was thinking eh, it feels a little like something's off um you know it's like everybody needs to have their 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 uh machine behind them like they're all robots and they need to be uh wound before the movie starts 
It is sanitized because this is Hallmark, and I think Hallmark definitely wants it a rated G. I mean, there's 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 maybe at most there's a hint or innuendo to sex, but there's no sex. But when I say clean, I'm referring to just their clothes, like the clothes, the houses are clean, everything's clean. There's nothing dirty. There are no dilapidated houses. There's right. the, their cars are all nice. There's Have just you met with lawns. No. Yeah. Yeah. If a girl wants to walk into your house. She'd start cleaning the place. Now I'm okay because I've seen your house. Like this is good. This is bachelor clean. Very good. Very well. You know, golf clap. Very well played, Mr. Martin. Yeah. A girl's gonna come in there and they're gonna want it spotless. Oh, uh, dude, they have. They have. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's yeah, then the they, audience is female. Well, then they want to move the war room sign, and I, you know, basically had to threaten to expel physically remove. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that war room is not moving. The sign. Anyway, my point was is that there definitely is, and you know, next Christmas season or Thanksgiving is about when they start rolling out um, because all the single, washed up, forty three year old women want to believe they're still twenty nine. There's still hope uh, when these new, they're going to come up with new ones, and it's the exact same script. The guys duke it out. One has a heart of gold. The other one is investment banking. Blah blah blah. Usually at the end, there's a surprise that the the honest blue collar guy is the heir to the Shell Oil Company or some other bullshit <laughs> like that. There's now I have noticed this more recently. There's an evil woman involved, maybe an ex-wife, maybe a boss. You, they got to get their digs against the woman and the heroine who is innocent and nice and average Jane. She comes out a winner on all sides. And so that is the formula. And my God, I don't know, DT, did I ever tell you? Don't tell if I've told it, but I ever tell you about the Harlequin romance novel I have in mind to write? I think so. <laughs> oh, my God. And, this, and But see, it's so formulaic or whatever that I just kind of forgot about it, I think. Right, right, but I got some good spins. I got some yeah. really. Well, yeah, think. think I mean, about I, mean the, you're, I think the whole point was to to not be you when you write it, right? Oh yeah, I'm gonna go point. write some. Yeah. I'll be. I'm gonna claim I'm a single mom. Yeah, and yeah. I, I work social work and da da da. And there's gonna be some bullshit story behind it, and then I'll send it to all the female places that take books, and they'll be like, "Oh, you're powerful and you know, I'm divorced. My husband left me for a younger woman. Whatever. I'll, I'll come up. The the lies about my non-diplume, my, my <laughs> author character, is going to be as ample and creative as the lies in the actual book that I write that would be sold to all my channel. I'm, re- I'm reminded of the movie Pretty Woman, the whole story behind that. that exactly. That they changed the entire ending to satisfy exactly what we're talking about to satisfy the audience what, the, wait, wait, the wait, original wait. ending of pretty woman they are not together they they are not together and the audience hated it and so he does the metaphorical riding in on the white horse the uh the the limousine you know and and yeah i'll, I'll be with you but the original was very realistic that there's no way that this rich guy is going to be with a whore mm-hmm. <laughs> well and uh, another thing that i've seen um and it you know, we're guys. It has to be pounded into our head. I'm sure it was on the radar of women long ago. But this uh, Prince Harry guy uh, yeah. marrying uh, basically a whore. Uh, yeah. The non-royal. No royal blood in that Harry. And Prince Harry, sorry. <laughs> well, all the the Twitter traffic and the commentary, these girls actually do. Th- it was like, wait, someday your prince will come. Uh, yep. And 
I, I mean, I've never had a tweet retweeted 30,000 times, but the gal who said, see, you just have to wait, girls, and everybody gets their prints. And that was retweeted 30,000 times. And I mean, you want to talk about the power of lies doing your marketing for you? That's it right there. There is no goddamn reason to work hard, think, strive, and write cogent, well thought out, well scripted conclusive logical proofs of 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 morality principles and hard intellectual thought just tell these girls what they want to hear and they will do the marketing for you and it's just that is happy happy of yours hold on a second i just i just got to say this i got to get this out for it again the greatest marketing tool in the world is the female hamster brain yeah oh yeah 80 percent of the consumer choices right you got to market to them and she get that hamster going and they won't keep spinning that wheel. And it's, it's like, uh, you know, it's like a perpetual motion engine. <laughs> Lady, Harry, Harry, he's not a Royal Harry. He's a bastard. <laughs> not a prince. That's why they killed his mom. And they killed his dad. Okay, Matt Forney. Enough with your conspiracy theories. No. Cappy, 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 you know what you need to do? Cappy needs to go be a spiritual advisor where he puts on that, that Pope cap. And where he just sets up shop somewhere or he does online instead of his consulting firm, he does a spiritual advisor thing. And you just give the most cliche, the most predictable answers to these questions where instead of telling them, here's what you can do to change the situation, whatever, you just say, you know, there's a plan for you. The there, Lord will provide. Yeah, the nice guy consulting. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta tap into both markets, right? You gotta you gotta prevent any kind of competition on the other side. No, I've um, I've been I've been thinking about it very philosophically and deeply because look, I mean, by all means, not the break, big success for being self-published. You know, the, the life I have is, you know, for not answering for being online. I'm one of the very fortunate few to make money on the internet. But if I had just put half the effort into that I did, like economic philosophy and uh, just regular philosophy and math and statistics and research into mastering telling people lies, I would have made so much more money. And so almost as an intellectual endeavor, I certainly am going to at least try and write one book that is just rank lies that are that have so much sugar and chocolate and ice cream on it. People will will kill and murder to buy that book or to buy whatever it is I put together. But um, <clears throat> that that's down the road. But if there's any, you know, older brother podcast, if there's any younger people out there listening, boys or girls, it is so much easier to sell to the masses and sell them lies than it is truth and to a small intellectual elite or, or just intellectually honest people. You don't even have to be smart. Um, that is That just makes life so much easier if you're going to sell to the masses. Yeah, I mean, how do you think Oprah became a billionaire? Oh, absolutely. Oh, wait, DT, you, didn't he, were you the one that sent me this video of the guy who stares yeah, for yeah. a living? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that guy's got hustle, huh? He just Explain stands on stage it. and stares Explain at people. It. <laughs> 7,000 people showed up to have him stare at them. Well, explain it to the audience because no, I couldn't believe it when you sent it to me and I watched it. I'm like, I was staring with my mouth open and a gape. I'm like, I can't believe this. 
I don't know. I he's called uh, uh, Bracco or Bratzo the Gazer, and I saw it. <laughs> I saw it on my Facebook feed, and I just shared. Somebody else posted it, and I shared it. And there's this hot chick talking about how he's so powerful, and and you just connect with him and his gaze, and he reveals the secrets of the universe to you through his gaze. And yeah, this guy, you buy tickets to his show, and he goes on stage, and he show. just stares at you. And people are in, uh, women are in tears, mainly women are in tears and just, you know, feeling something in the feels. And, and this guy, I mean, <laughs> talk about a scan talk. I mean, brilliant. I mean, he doesn't have to do anything. He just goes up there and stares at people and they give him money. How do I get in on this, man? This is brilliant. Well, see, see, that's, that's my point is go to school, work hard, da, 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 da. And like, all I got to do is have long hippie gray hair, be yep. part native American or whatever the heck he is. And then present myself as Busto the Starer. And now I have thousands. Now, what you said, 7,000 people paid to physically show up. This isn't even the YouTube video. This is people drove to see oh, it. Yeah, right? You, you got to be there in person. You got, I mean, if you really want to feel the power of his gaze, I mean, you've got to be there in person and then get him to notice you from the other 7,000 people in the audience. And then you will feel the secrets of the universe I mean, through his gaze and, and everything will become known and you will and and you will be content and happy and you will feel love surround you by looking into his gaze yeah i i mean i'm i'm just curious about you guys this has been my experience where a lot of girls will say i have a really good feeling or a really good energy about this whether we're talking about something or, or proposing an idea or or whatever it is and they just say I've got a really good energy about this and I have no idea what they're talking about. But now that I hear about their, they're going and paying to have some old guy stare at them. I'm, I'm starting to understand what exactly they mean. It means they're crazy. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I literally TJ. I said, what? I said, welcome to the, Hey, a resident millennial finally got it. All right. <laughs> hey. Party, pal. Well, I'm, just, I'm just wondering, like, I've never really heard that a whole lot, but I, I mean, I know what chick crack is and I know that uh, they're, they're really into that, that, that vaguely spiritual stuff. Like, um, you know, somebody who's really into yoga or something like that. Astrology. Astrology. Oh, oh astrology, oh, astral production. I, you know, one, one of the things I did when I was younger, back when they had bookstores, I would actually go to books. I'm not lying. Just as an experiment, I actually did this. And you go to like to the new age section where they have the astrology and the astral projection and your past life and all this kind of bullshit. Meet those chicks. Those are the craziest bitches in bed. Because <laughs> they think they were Cleopatra, you know, their past life, like they were never like some fucking peasant working on a, you know, in a field or something like that. They always have to be, oh no, I'm, I'm the reincarnation of Cleopatra, or you know, or some shit like that. Now, now let's compare that to crazy men like Patton, who believe Patton, that's what re- re- reincarnation. Right, yeah. And, and yeah, I thought he was uh, he fought alongside Alexander the Great and had been at Carthage and was with Napoleon. I mean, he, I think he, I don't know if it's true, but in the film, you know, the British general says you should have uh, fought with Napoleon and Patton replies, I did. I mean, but that's what crazy does in a guy. You go conquer half of France and, you know, capture 20,000 Germans and create the fillets gap. And then you go say, uh, relieve the 101st airborne during a huge uh, counter. Yeah, Battle Bastogne, yeah. He, yeah. I, I like how you, I like how you go 24 seven just. I like how you stopped. You didn't say saved. You said relief. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you've watched like, Band of Brothers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wonder if, like, do you, like say, Wacko or what? what's his name? Spazzo? <laughs> what? Spazzo. Who, the, the Gazer? Gazer? Bratz, Bratzo? The Gazer, yeah, Gazer. Bratzo the Gazer? Bratzo the Gazer. <laughs> Bratzo, okay. <laughs> you, you wonder, like, 
the hardest thing he's got to do is simply not laugh or break. He's got to keep that poker face on stage. But the second he steps off, he's shaking his head, laughing his ass. Like, I can't believe you did this. But then, like, what's his life like? You know, I would love, like, to, to I give him client asshole privilege. I wouldn't say anything. I just I guarantee you, no, nothing leaves us from like, what's it like, man? Like, what's that like? Going and just being the starer. Do you ever think you'd be here? Be like, oh no, man, I had no idea. But don't don't tell him. Like, no, no, I won't break. I won't break your deal. Well, it's it's kind of like in Band of Brothers. What was the name? Uh, uh, Bill Garnier's talking about the the guy on their the street block, um, Crazy Joe McCluskey, who would just stare at people. Yeah, back in the '30s, when a guy stared at everybody, they just called him Crazy Joe McCluskey. Nowadays, they give him you know thirty million dollars. Pratso the Gazer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the I mean that sounds like something out of a horror film. Yeah. <laughs> It kind of does. Like, you know, you could, yeah, this is an idea for a novel. Like, a guy who gazes at you and steals your soul, you know, through, through the power of his game. You know? That might explain a lot, though. Well, and it, it, to parallel, again, you know, which market are you going to sell this to? And I, I hate to sound sexist or misogynist. I'm not. I'm just empirical. Guys typically don't fall for this. I mean, and I watched the video, you looked at it. Most of the girls in the, most of the people in the audience were, were female. But then also, um, I was on a, a live stream with, it was Donovan Sharp, uh, Rolo, and um, Rich Cooper. And Donovan was telling us about, or they were telling us about this guy who, you look at him, he's in shape, he's alpha, he works out. But then he sells the men should step up and be, get in touch with their inner female selves, and you women are all beautiful. And he, the, the audience is full of women. He's a good-looking dude. They all believe him. He tells them exactly what they want to hear, and you just know. And you're, you're maybe, maybe not us because we're a little bit faster and smarter than that. The average guy would be insulted. Oh God, he's lying to those girls. But now we're kind of like, dude, all right, you are making a mint. Like, <laughs> like bravo, very well done. Well, well, the problem is men get fooled in other ways. Like we get fooled where, um, you know, it just for for like the guys that you see in dating relationships where he's just convinced even though there's more you know he's dating a girl who's got more red flags on her than a communist rally and you're trying to snap him out of it and he's just like no man it'll, it'll work you know we'll make it work and it's just like okay this is the exam this is the version this is where men are just I, I like I understand women can do the same thing with men where they rationalize when they're clearly not in a relationship with a, a guy who's um, you know, long-term, but this is where a lot of guys just put the t blinders up and completely ignore reality. What, that guy's like crazy, crazy bitches? <laughs> no, 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 here's the thing. I understand that part, but the part where they think that it's actually long-term sustainable or that this, per the, the, you know, the girl they're dating is going to be, you know, they're going to be together for life or something like that. When you clearly know it's like, dude, if you guys managed to get through the weekend, um, that'll be, that'll be kind of a miracle. And, 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 but the, the same rationalization, I mean, here's the thing, the reality about men, men will rationalize the same way that women will do. We just do it in different ways, um, uh, because we want to convince ourselves of what we, what we want reality to be differently from what reality actually is. We, we also will rationalize or come up with different stuff when we don't want to change who we are. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're we're all not going to be going to see a guy stare at us for for two hours with a creepy name that sounds like something out of you know that that clown horror film. Um, what was that one with the the the, the horror film with the clown, the really creepy guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking of when I heard. 
heard the name of the Sarah. I'm like, hey, Georgie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, hiya. Hiya, Georgie. Yeah. Well, how, I, how crazy I, does it have to get? I, I'll understand. Look, uh, I know we slam on women a lot here, but it's it's only because it's needed. I mean, this is this is like your older brother beating you up so you get in line. Uh, because they they fall for such simple lies, but the guys I think the, the and guys are also equally to blame. But it's it's in a different capacity because it's genetics. I mean, the dumb crap I did when I was a teenager and a young twenty mm-hmm. because I didn't know any better. I mean, we can laugh at girls for watching Malazzo the Starer, uh, but we were, you know, how many of you were stupid enough to think buying a girl like a nice necklace or getting her some flowers, even though you, you never talked to that, that would be a way to get her to go on a date with you, like when you were in you know, high school or whatever like that. Guys are done, and some of them never grow out of it. They still, like, they don't, you know, they are totally blue pill in that regard. So I don't mean to be keep slamming on the girls. It's just... At what point, and I, I guess now I think about it, you think Blazo the stare, like there's no male equivalent, but then it's like, well, I'm dating a stripper and I think that, you know, things can work out. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, men have their own version of Blazo the stare. Yeah, I think it's chemicals, right? I mean, isn't that what it is? I mean, yeah. as you grow older, the chemicals don't have as much influence on your brain as they do when you're young. I, I think it's as simple as that. I don't know. Alcohol still seems to have the same. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's a chemical, hey, right? this is this is where the hot crazy matrix really comes in, where guys have got to do the matrix and and follow it religiously. Um, yeah, that's and we didn't have that when we were kids, you know. So you're kind of just trying to navigate the whole world, and of course you're getting that's the difference. I would say, like Happy was saying, between men and women, we're given advice and counsel that is completely counter to what's. Yeah. What, what we want like we're told to basically do the opposite of what would seem natural to do um you know like when you're a kid you're taught to be nice to girls when naturally you just want to give them a hard time like your little sister and just tease them the whole time and then you get a little confused when they start hanging out with you the whole time and won't go away i just go i just go to chemicals i mean wanna, i mean everybody <laughs> i mean when you're when you're a kid i mean i mean the hormones, shit. I mean, you're sitting on the bus and you're not thinking about anything. You get a hard on. I mean, that's that's the torture <laughs> of being young. It's just always on your brain, and that's why I tell, I try to tell young people, look, it gets better. I mean, you don't, you're not going to be constantly thinking about sex all the fucking time and having to be in the forefront of your brain all the time. It gets better. Yeah, well, but, yeah, it was, it was horrible. Like in fifth grade, you know, they would like. like you know, you'd get those spontaneous boners and they're like, Mr. Steele, could you come up to the blackboard and demonstrate uh, that? Is, and you're like, uh, uh, could, you, could you hold on a second? I, yeah. I'll tell you, it's, it's, a, it's almost like being released from prison to a certain regard where you're, you just don't care. Mm-hmm. And you're not trying, like, I remember in, the, in your 20s, like, oh, I got to go out to this. I got to go out there. You, like, you're, you're, your free time, once work was done, once school was done, whatever your obligation is to stay alive, we're done. Then it's like, okay, where are the girls? We got to go. We gotta. And now it's more like, what's down that road over there? Or, hey, what's on TV? And it's almost like going back to being four years old, but you got like a credit card and yeah. a spending account and a driver's <laughs> license and a passport. And it's kind of like, hey, I want to do all this fun stuff. And Except you can reach up on the table and um, you don't need your parents' permission. And if you can just get guys, I don't mean boys, but older men, because some of them are still addicted. Some of them are still like, yeah. look, 
the world is your oyster. This is one big playground and you don't need that much money to go and avail yourself of it. Um, yeah, you're going to have a lot more fun, but also the, the let the lower or the lack or the complete absence of all the mental frustration that came with chasing and constantly, oh, I got to go. It's just such a relief. And then, then all of a sudden, yeah, maybe you can, you know, smoke a pipe and read a book and uh, take things easy. But uh, for anyone listening, I mean, it gets, I don't know about girls. I don't know what is the case with, with girls, I guess maybe the opposite, like tickety tock, tickety tock. And then they're yeah, panicking maybe. at 40. I, I don't know, but for guys, can I just get you guys' opinions on on these like you know red pilled women or something like that? I, I just saw a tweet that that popped up because I, I follow uh, uh, Rolo on my uh, Twitter, and he liked a tweet by this uh, red. I think she's pretty much a slut from what I heard about her, but um, she actually tweeted this out. Um, "Quote: Sometimes I just need to choke on a cock." <laughs> Who is this? <laughs> I don't even know if I want to give her the press. Our kitten holiday is her name, and she's oh. one of these. For Christ's sake, Kate, I'm really? friends with her really? on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, she's I, really she, hard up. She is she, super she hard up. Me. When I when I was on Facebook, she blocked me because I was basically like, "Look, you're a slut. You're divorced. You're a single mom. Stop pretending you're fucking red pill, you hoe." I mean, fine if you want to choke, choke on my cock. I'll give it to you. But that's all. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be just a writer. She's a writer that's trying to get attention, I think, and maybe she's a decent writer, but um, oh, she yeah, can't for shit. I, I have I have to be perfectly honest. I'm in one of the I'm bigoted against people in Wyoming, and if you're overly good looking, you claim to be a conservative girl. I'm sorry, I'm bigoted against you. I don't believe it. I just don't. Uh, and you're going to have to because I made the mistake of trying to read Laura Southern's book. Uh, Beckloff mailed it to me, and I couldn't get past pamphlet that she called the book. I, I couldn't even get five pages into it, and I was like, "Okay." Yeah, I mean, it was. That's, but that's an example of what I was talking about before, where she writes an eighty-page pamphlet and probably says the exact same thing that we we say and and most most thirty of us years have said ago, for years, and that one gets you know reviews, all these reviews, and it gets interviews and all that stuff. And I'm not saying that some of the stuff that work she's doing, like with the whole South African situation, isn't good, but it's like okay. There, there are people out there who are doing much more, writing better books, and that are much more original ideas, and nobody's paying any attention to them because they're not a blonde. It's the hot chick saying obvious shit. That's like, <laughs> there you go. I remember I, that. I, I should have trademarked that when I came up with it. But I mean, it's just like, stop liking hot chicks saying obvious shit. Well, I that she charges like 200 bucks for like 15 minute Skype sessions. And Catherine Holiday? No, no, uh, Lauren Southern. Um, So basically, you know, I mean, $200, you know, for a Skype session with her. And from what I hear, she doesn't even take her clothes off. What the fuck is the point? (laughs) She's not going to fuck you, fellas. That's not, it's not going to happen. Oh, I like you. I think you're beautiful. She's not going to fuck you. Stop. DT. It gets better. It gets better. Stop getting the boner on the bus on the way home from school. We got to use that as an audio clip. Stop getting a boner on the way back from school. On the bus. bus. If you want Lauren Southern to fuck fuck you, make fun of her lisp. All right? <laughs> right, right. She's got this lisp going on. Make fun of that. Trust me, you're gonna get. She's gonna pay far more attention to that than someone saying, "Oh, you're so hot," and this, that, and the other. You know, but you know, don't do it in a mean way. Just kind of say, "What you know?" Say, "What's up with that list? Have you always had it, or is it something new?" You know. I, 
Here's the thing. I can't, I can't fault Laura Southern or Catherine Holly, any of these girls right. for doing what they're doing. They're making their money. And if you really want to sit and think hard about one, these, these thirsty guys are going to keep liking and subs- mm-hmm. anytime a girl posts a pretty picture. Oh my God, you're so beautiful. I are in love. You know what? We're not going to change it. We could, we could have this video go viral about how to stop getting boners on the bus. We could go on to stop getting boners on the bus tour. We could get a tour bus in the shape of a boner and go across the country, and we're not going to get them to stop, so we might as well capitalize on them. And that's why I'm thinking about like hiring models or trying to hire models because it's just that's the way it's going to go. That's the way it is. Those are the rules. Let's play by the rules. Right. And sooner or later, somebody's going to hire a really, really young, really, really cute, sweet-looking girl to pretend to be the author of a book he wrote. And then, but all the profits are going to go to him. You know, she's going to be just like the the pinup model, and she'll get a cut of it. But that's what's going to end up happening, or or something else, where somebody writes it and then gives it to somebody else to market, and so they're the face of of the book or whatever. Right. You, you almost become a ghostwriter by that time. Yeah. And and here's the reality: if people don't want to uh, drink good beer, they much rather instead drink uh, Bush Light. Then you know, if you're a beer maker, make Bush Light. And just keep giving it to them. And, you know, you don't have to drink it when you go home. I've thought about being Don T, D-A-W-N, and just see, <laughs> have my D-T, Don T, and then have my other Don T and see who gets more attention. You yeah, know? Don's not a sexy name, though. That's just kind of... Don, you know, Don, Kitten D-A-W-N. Holiday or Catherine Holiday. Yeah. What's her name? Uh, Kitten. Kitten Holiday. Kitten, yeah, I mean, there you go. Perfect. I mean, you got to get He's like just... a Samantha or a, a Natasha or something. She just seems desperate, the kitten holiday. I, she she posts these things from time to time, and I don't know if she's just joking around or what, but it's How unfortunate. How many Twitter followers does she have? Guarantee she's got more than me. She seems desperate to me. She seems like she's not getting enough attention. Well, that's, that's every woman ever. Seen. Where have you been for the past 43 <laughs> years of your life? No, I, well, I think what he means is uh, she doesn't feel like she's getting the levels of attention that, like, you know, a, a petty bone or pet my bone, as I call her, or a, or, a, or a Lauren Southern type, you know, she's like, well, why aren't I getting, you know, well, one of the reasons is say, hey, look, bitch, you're pushing 40 and you're a single mom. That might have something to do with it. She, she's got 5,500 followers and she hasn't put together any great economic trees or treatises or however you pronounce it, you real authors or, or educated people. I mean, she, she's doing, she's on par with me for a fraction of the effort. So, She's doing just fine. You could, assuming she prorates it and all that, she's making a living doing it. But like half of her tweets are like what Rolo shared. You know, oh, it's I'm lonely tonight and I need to blah blah blah. It's just like, come on. I mean, it's and that works apparently. I guess I, got, I guess it works. Rolo retweeted it, so I got. Well, he he does it out of a criticizing nature. Uh, sure. Well, I don't know. He, he actually, I think Rolo. I, I remember like, Rolo's insights are great. Like his writings are great, but like. You see this guy, and it's like you know he's giving all this information about women. He's, he's like I think he's fifty one, and he's given all this insight. And he's been married since his late twenties. And it's like, well, you haven't fucked anybody but your wife in twenty something years. So, what do you really know? You know, in all due respect, I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I love his writing. I think he's very bright. I think he's very insightful. Uh, he's a smart guy. But it's like, you know, have you seen another vagina besides your wife's in twenty something years? You know. Well, that's yeah, what I'd be we interested had to, to know his, his uh, reasoning behind sharing that. If it, if it's to if it's to show, well, yeah, this is what they really want, fellas. Have at it, or is it to show? Look at how desperate this chick is and trying to get attention. Well, and this is why I have TJ on um, 
simply because like, look at all of it. I mean, Vince, you're what, you're a couple of years older than me. DT, you're a couple of years younger. John, you're old as fuck. Um, <laughs> we we got to bring in like this. We, we need at least one private from the trenches to report back to us to say, oh, well, we got these diagrams that says this is going on. I mean, what's really going on? And I won't lie, the, the stories TJ has told me, they're horrible. It's, now, it's now, worse now than I thought. I mean, you've, you've seen it, Cavi. You've seen like examples of uh, uh, observations that I've made, and then we go out and actually encounter it in Witness real life. It, yeah. Yeah. And so <clears throat> but that's one of the biggest frustrations that I had with, um, with other generations, um, especially around my parents' age, where they just did not stay up to date on what was going on. They kind of just checked out of the whole cultural thing, and they let other people dis- decide what was appropriate or not. Or, or just what was going on, like what this is what you're supposed to do, this is what you're not supposed to do, and then they discover years later that oh my kids aren't getting married, my kids aren't having kids. What you know what what what's going on with that? They just did that article about how baby boomers, it's a crisis that their their kids aren't having kids, and it's like guys, it's your your Cappy's used this analogy, but it's it's so true. When your troops are getting mowed down in no man's land, you have to pause and say, hmm, what's on the other side? Like why why is the plan not working? Um, but it, they just doubled down on it. So you got to stay up to date on what's going on. And unfortunately, it's constantly changing in our society. Like I, you have to wake up every single day. You get your cup of coffee, you get your bacon and eggs, you get on your computer and you say, okay, what is the new norm for today? That we, what was the new offensive thing that we can't say? What's the new, new word that somebody's made up like mansplaining or, or manspreading or something like that, that we have to be aware of, not that we have to be worried about you know somebody saying that they're offended but just being aware that it's going on so that young kids who are in the education system have to deal with that stuff well, i remember one thing i mean i heard about it on the internet but i didn't see it until i was hanging out with you was the, the uh, paps blue ribbon pbrf bpfrb the permanent P- resting bitch face <laughs> <laughs> oh you guys laugh you laugh but it's it a true funny. thing it's real yeah it's real yeah, it is real, and we can speculate. I speculate that the sexes have been lied to each other, so at a fundamental genetic, intellectual, biological level, they're they're permanently unhappy. Um, but I had no idea because you know I had to kind of look at it through the eyes of TJ. Like, oh, there's this cute girl over here, a cute girl over there, and then we go over there, and I'm looking. I'm like, she is cute, but it looks like she will bite my nuts off if I look at her the wrong way. They are just mean looking. Uh, and very, not intimidating, intimidating is not the word, but deterring from approaching to even talk to him or try and flirt with him or ask him out on a date. Now, I wonder if that's, I, see, I, I suspect that some of it is just genetic too, though. I mean, you can't really control what your face does. I, I, and I, I sort to, of feel sorry for him. I mean, I, I know I know uh, uh, someone and and she's not that way, really, I don't think. But it does affect it affects you and it's not, it, it's not her fault, but it does, you approach differently. It, it's, it's sort of sad. I, I have a, a I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to be, a, give them, I guess, the benefit of a doubt. I would say, cause I was ch- chatting with one girl about why that was, um, she didn't have it, but she was just talking about it. She goes, TJ, you have to understand that we get approached by creepers and weirdos and guys who just mm-hmm. are, are awkward. Like they're nice guys. They're just very awkward um, and they they can't pick up on social cues, so they have to deal with that. Especially if you're an attractive woman uh, today, you, you, and I, I will agree with them on that. They do get a lot of attention. She goes, "This is a way to just say leave me alone." And what I replied to her was, "You know, that's great in a society and culture where it is 
okay for men you are attracted to to approach you without any consequences. But the way we interpret it is we look at it and say that you don't want to be approached by anybody. And the risks for us being wrong are not just, you know, you being cold. Like we, you could, the girl could throw a temper tantrum, get really, really upset, make a scene. And then everybody looks over and just assumes like the worst, yeah. like, you know, you were, I mean, that, that's just the thing, like the natural psychological reaction of having a girl uh, get upset like that, they're automatically going to assume that you were going to do something really, really bad. You need to leave, right? Yeah. Now. On, a, on a fundamental level, I think what they're doing is trying to weed out social retards, but it yeah. also bites them. It also bites them in the foot. Right. Well, that's what, that's what you have to, you know, up your game, so to speak, to use that. Statement. Exactly. And they're 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 looking for men that know how to comport themselves and how to and the, the men they want to talk to, and that's what they're doing. All right, so here's some advice, guys, if you're in your 20s and you want to meet a chick like that. So you have to, you, go, you come up to where I, I've done this before, and I just I walked up to her. I said, excuse me, can I, can I borrow your phone for a second? I need to make a call. I don't mind. Mine's, whatever bullshit excuse. And then, <laughs> and then dial yourself your, your own phone. So then you have her number, and then as soon as you know, dial it, and then just, just, you know, then just hang up and then just give it back to her and walk away. And so don't ask her a name. Don't ask her like that. And then you can just call her back. Yo, don't call. Don't call. Never call. Text. Text back. Say, hi, I'm the guy that borrowed your phone. You want to meet again at the same coffee shop on, you know, to whatever. Not that's bad, John. Bad. Not bad. Yeah, that's pretty good. How about you just ask her to, like, tell her you're going to go do something with her at that time in that moment? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. work it. This is not a strict thing. It's just a basic outline. Whatever works for you, and whatever you know, adapt it to whatever environment you have. Like in the coffee shop, I've done it like that. I did this at a ball game once. So that's just be like that. That's an out of the box thing. A lot of guys might know, you know, know that idea, but they, how many guys are gonna have the balls to pull it off? Just go up there with confidence. Don't be like, uh, oh, excuse me, uh, hey, uh, yeah, let me let me get your phone and have the hand gesture going. Like, give me the phone. Like it's. It's already. It's not like you're asking permission. It's almost like you're saying, "Give me the right. phone," but you know, don't be rude about it. But just yeah. uh, be confident about it, and then just dial yourself, and then just give the phone back. And then she, first, it's, first she's going to be like totally. It's totally going to break her state because you didn't talk to anyone. You didn't know. You know, she's like, "What the fuck just happened?" Like, what the? <laughs> so right there now, now the hamster's going. The hamster's going. The hamster's going. Make sure your own phone's on silent, though, right? Would that be the one? Have your phone phone ring, maybe even fuck her a little bit more, and then she's thinking, "What is he going to do? What is he doing?" But he he didn't ask me anything. He just got the night, walked away. Let let the hamster go, man. Just release the hamster. Release the hamster. I think it'd be pretty cool. You give her, but hey, thanks, and then like you move two feet down, you call up, like, hey, so you want to get caught? You call her, and she's right there. Yeah, immediately. Yeah, that'd be in front of her and call her. Yeah. Say, hey, you want to go get coffee sometime? Well, the only challenge with that, the only challenge with that is it doesn't give, I'm not saying that's a bad idea. That could work, but it doesn't give enough time to release the hamster because you want the girl thinking about creating this imaginary, you know, thing going on and have her brain going like this. It's it's like a mind virus. You've taken over, you've hijacked (laughs) her brain now. Whatever she was doing, you know, or thinking about whatever, that's gone. Now she's totally thinking about this guy. Who is he? What is he? That's the way to do it, I think. Uh, that's just too much psyops for me right now. I got that. Maybe when I was 22, I, I'm not. Hey, you know that that guy to borrow your phone? Yeah, it's me. And she's like looking at you, like, "Hey, we should totally go out sometime." <laughs> hey, there's this coffee shop at this place. You ever been there? 
that, that could that could work just as well. I'm telling the guys in your twenties, try this shit, you know, because a girl and they, they haven't. If they, you know, like I said, this is the older brother podcast, so I'm talking to my young brothers from another mother out there. Hey, try this. That's that's good. That's good. I like it. Yeah. No. Just uh, going up uh, another one, real simple. It's like you got a boyfriend? No. Want to go out sometime? Boom. And then better than the swiping right or left. This presupposes you people are out in the real world meeting, you know, real physical women, not digital internet social apps. But yeah, just a, a straightforward approach. Where we could probably do a whole segment or, or episode on on how to approach girls later, but. Not me. Not me. <laughs> We're rusty. We're real rusty. All right. Well, listen. Um, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna call it a night here, guys, because I got to go get dinner with my hosts who have been kind enough to to tolerate this. Want to thank all you guys for coming on. I want to also apologize for for any listeners we had for the technical issues we had. We have 31 viewers. I think we got half the audience. I didn't have time to send out the new link on the other social media. Uh, let's quickly go through uh, what we got. DT, what do you got for uh, your website and all that? It's blackbrigade.org. There's no new podcast, but all the old ones are on there. And uh, yeah, you can hear you can hear me pontificate and try to be entertaining. So that's all. That's, a, that's that. And maybe there will be some things in the future. I don't know yet. We'll see. But this is I, – I like uh, same cap time, same cap channel every uh, – Tuesday night, so I will, I will be here. With same crappy technical issues. All right, John Steele, <laughs> what do you got? Yeah, I got um, I got some uh, – I got a giveaway, but uh, uh, some people lined up to uh, interview, and that's that's the shtick of my channel. You can follow me at John underscore Steele 99 at Twitter. Um, and uh, so – and oh, by the way, TJ, stay on after he hangs up. I need your contact info. Okay, cool. And, uh, so look forward to that. All right, Vince, what do you got? I'm Dennis Malone, 1884 on Twitter. My website is com, and you can find my stuff on Amazon if you just Google Vincent J. LaRosa. There you go. And we're doing like an author meetup out there on the East Coast, right? We're doing a battlefield gathering in October, yes. And it is sort of an author meetup kind of hangout, and we'll be doing live broadcast from the Gettysburg battlefield. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes, we will. Yes, oh, we will. God. I gotta get educated. I gotta you go do. read. Yeah, you, you gotta come. I, I know, I know, but I don't want like because then you guys are like, ah, oh, General Jones troops came over <laughs> here and did that thing to General Frank. <laughs> oh, I like the left hook maneuver he did. I'll be like, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> well, we freed the slaves. Is that what we did? Good. So we can, we can just, we can talk at you. <laughs> okay, good. I'll, maybe I'll just okay, stare back. If you want, if you want to prepare for the Gettysburg thing, read, read uh, Killer Angel. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that I read. Is there a movie out? Like, can I just watch? Yeah, uh, there's a movie based on the book called Gettysburg. Oh, yeah. good. I'll just watch that. Yeah, it's four hours, so be prepared. It's four, four hours. hours. Yeah, four hours. Maybe I'll just turn into Blazo the Starer and stare at you guys <laughs> while you're talking. We'll, we'll dress you up in a union uniform. You can just stare at everybody. <laughs> Got to grow a beard. Uh, TJ, tell everybody about your exciting world of living in the mountains. All right. Yeah. If you want to listen to my weekly podcast, you can go to uh, soundcloud.com slash TJ Martinell. I just actually released one earlier today. Um, you can also go to my website, tjmartinell.com. It'll have a list of just my different work and also my books that I've published um, on Amazon, The Stringers, The Informers, and Men Who Walk Alone. Nice. Cool. Awesome. All right. And then just as a reminder, all the listeners out there, Super Chat should be enabled by next week. We will break through the 
listening requirements um, and all that. So if you guys wanted to give me money, uh, you may, believe it or not. We're open to that. Um, and then hopefully we won't have I, – I will be back in Minneapolis by that time, and we will not have any technical issues like we did this time. All right. I'll see you guys later. See you later. Later. See you, Good night, everyone.